0: Ideas matter. Ideas matter. This is Dialogue.
1: Hello and welcome to Dialogue. This year marks the 10-year milestone of the Belt and Road Initiative. Over the past decade, the BRI has transformed the global economic landscape of the Global South countries, including Sri Lanka. At this year's Beijing Xiangshan Forum, I'm honored to speak with Piao De Silva, former commander of the Sri Lankan Navy, to share his views on how the BRI has impacted Sri Lanka in the past decade. Commissioner okay, De Silva, welcome to Dialogue. Uh, So we'll start with, um, you know, Xiangshan Forum, which is really about security, regional security, international security. But uh, at the same time, we understand security is closely related to development. And uh, speak of development this year marks the 10th anniversary of uh, Belt and Road Initiative. And your country, Sri Lanka, is an important part of uh, uh, Belt and Road Initiative. I wonder when you look back over the past 10 years, how do you review, how do you comment on uh, the performance of uh, Sri Lanka in participating the Belt and Road Initiative?
2: Yeah. Thank you for inviting me to this in- interview. And let me first uh, speak a little bit about this shangshan Forum from my perspective. Uh, it's This forum is one of the leading forums in the world. And I'm so surprised to see such a large number gathered here for this forum uh, this year and this forum will certainly facilitate uh, to discuss about the global security issues uh, concerning matters and also uh, allow the <coughs> participant to express their views thoughts and opinion to take a better decision to come to consensus and take better decisions uh, for the benefit of the global security and stability Uh, so that's my opinion about this forum
1: yes uh, stability peace uh, and security as we said you know it has a lot to do with um, development without development there would be usually (laughs) there would be a lot of problems a lot of challenges for any nation any country there Uh, so if you focus a little bit on Sri Lanka you know uh, let's say, what about the achievements or the challenges during the past years in yeah. participating in the Belt and Road Initiative?
2: So the Belt and Road Initiative uh, of China launched in 2013 is a holistic concept uh, aimed at uh, transregional connectivity for development of China as well as partner countries. I believe that it is based on uh, China's famous philosophy of uh, harmonious win-win right it gives the uh, participating countries uh, an opportunity to explore the possibility for economic development and uh, this is uh, a project uh, according to understanding uh, spending uh, billions of us dollars uh, and it's a mega project reflecting the ancient uh, chinese silk road that connected uh, asia africa the Middle East and Europe for uh, trade and uh, cultural exchanges as well as diplomacy changes. So uh, I believe that uh, this is a very good opportunity for the partner countries to exploit uh, and uh, and make use of these opportunities uh, to prosper the country.
1: You know, speak of the ancient Silk Road, you know, Sri Lanka and the Chinese people, uh, there were, uh, let's say, uh, inter-changes or exchanges, you know, let's say thousands of years ago.
2: Of course, as long as uh, uh, the Silk Road is concerned, we have a very good relationship with China. uh, According to the history and uh, the, the Chinese travelers, have visited Sri Lanka uh, from uh, the 3rd century BC. I think it's 399, a famous uh, Buddhist monk, Fahian had come to uh, Sri Lanka using the uh, Silk Road to India and from there crossing the Indian Ocean by boat. Then, uh, (coughs) again according to the history, it says that uh, Marco Polo uh, came to Sri Lanka in. 1289, 1289, uh, as an agent of uh, uh, Emperor Kublai Khan of Mongolia uh, for uh, another exploration. Then uh, the famous Admiral, uh, Admiral Sheng He visited Sri Lanka a number of times, starting from uh, 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 1412 to 1433 and he has visited uh, 6 times uh, for the purpose of trade, cultural exchange and diplomacy. So, he has been a frequent visitor to Sri Lanka and while exploring the Indian Ocean, he visited Sri Lanka a number of times. So, that kind of uh, history we have in terms of uh, Silk Road, that was existed for more than 2,000
1: years. Yeah, more than 2,000 years. Uh, of course, recent years, you know, in particular, the past 10 years, you know, during this uh, Belt and Road Initiative, uh, uh, we know that, you know, the initiative uh, um, started with infrastructure construction, you know, roads, highways, port, for example. And um, what about your country's uh, you know, construction of those uh, infrastructure projects.
2: Yeah, this uh, road and build initiative is fundamentally based on uh, four uh, areas. That is infrastructure development, economic development, uh, social development and uh, policy reform. So Sri Lanka has involved in all uh, four areas. As far as the infrastructure development is concerned, uh, we have uh, very uh, fruitful I mean, very productive uh, uh, infrastructure development program, especially related to highways and railways. Now, today we can go to Hamban uh, uh, using the superhighway that uh, China has uh, invested and constructed within uh, three hours. But those days, it used to take more than six hours. I remember uh, going to Hamban before the establishment of this road taking uh, seven to eight hours and staying overnight without coming back on the same day. Now, now, the situation is completely different. We can go to Hambantota and return on the same day. It takes only uh, uh, the full voyage, will full passage will take only uh, six to seven hours.
1: Six to seven hours.
2: And, and we have to uh, understand one important aspect which has never been highlighted, I believe, It is the uh, emission of carbon. Now, today, the trend is the uh, reduction of carbon emission to the atmosphere. Now, just imagine uh, the number of vehicles going to Hambantota, coming back uh, using the old road. It takes about 7 hours, uh, 14 hours uh, for go there and return now it takes only 7 hours so that means 100% reduction in carbon emission uh, uh, to the environment so this is a very good uh, i mean uh, achievement uh, uh, and uh, it's good contribution for the environment protection and
1: uh, upkeep. Uh, speak of the, of course the security issue, um, Sri Lanka being there in the Indian Ocean. You know, there's a, for example, uh, there's a, there's a concern, there's competition. Uh, we know that there's a big power competition. You know, uh, regional countries. Uh, you know, U.S. Uh, not the U.S. but U.S. You know, they talk about Indo-Pacific this concept, and you have India, you have China. And, you know, people are focusing on all turning the attention to the security uh, in the Indian Ocean, uh, there is an incident. I would say you know, there is a surveying ship from China that once uh, was um, docking or not docked, you know, <laughs> with the Tota port. What really happened there?
2: Yeah, though the power competition is there in the Indian Ocean region, uh, Sri Lanka maintains a very neutral position with all the powerful countries. Right? Our foreign policy is such that friendly with everyone. We don't have enemies. So, right? So, uh, enemy of none and friend of all. So, that's that kind of policy we are following. Therefore, we maintain uh, a balance with every uh, uh, country that is interested in the Indo-Pacific region. So, with regard to this particular ship, I I think it is Xi'an 6. uh, That was uh, to come to sri lanka it, it came it docked in sri lanka very recently uh, when i left for sri lanka the vessel was there i don't know whether it has uh, left or not uh, so uh, my opinion is that it is a survey vessel i being a diver uh, i explore sea and whenever i find new information i disseminate the information to others so that's uh, part of my uh, 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 philosophy and uh, my work. So, uh, when the ships are built, they should not be kept in harbors or at anchorage. The ships should sail. especially uh, when a survey vessel is made, I believe that it should engage in its desired purpose of surveying and disseminate the information for the betterment of the humankind. Right? So, uh, uh, the ocean uh, covers about 70% of the Earth's surface. To date, only 5% of the ocean has been explored, right? Only a very limited countries have the capacity to engage in uh, ocean surveying. Uh, And as long as the vessels engage in uh, lawful activity with the participation of the uh, countries that they are visiting or interested, and share the information for the benefit of the humankind, I think the vessel should be allowed to engage in surveying and uh, and docking Mm -hmm. and especially when the harbors are built harbors should attract ships to revenue uh, to generate their revenue. So if there is an opportunity to get a vessel to a harbor as long as it engage in innocent passage and lawful activity, so the harbor should be open for the vessel. That's my personal opinion.
1: Uh, You know, Belt and Road Initiative is about development. Uh, We know it's one of the biggest development projects around the world. Um, But but the thing is like, you know, for a lot of developing countries, you know, for the global south, the focus, the priority is about, uh, you know, cooperation, working together to build projects uh, for the development of the nation, uh, for the livelihood of the people. Uh, but then you know if you look at uh, you know the views from some of the countries uh, about the BRI they view it uh, you know as a geopolitical move (laughs) of China (laughs) Uh, your country has been with uh, you know participating the BRI for 10 years you know do you see there's any strategic motivation or geopolitical consideration
2: it's the opinion of others but my opinion is that so far uh, uh, the Sri Lankan community have uh, yield the benefits of the uh, infrastructure development that China has uh, done to Sri Lanka, especially the road network. uh, As I mentioned before, it's not only the road that uh, leads from Colombo to Hambantota, there are connected roads, so the entire road network is now uh, completed, uh, so people can reach the the places within the shortest possible time. So this has given benefits to many sectors like uh, Education, uh, transport, health, uh, then the agriculture. Now, any product that is made in Hambantota can be brought to Colombo within the shortest possible time, not like those days. So that way, the agri-products are also saved to some extent, right? The, 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 uh, it won't get spoiled. So the fishery sector, so almost every sector uh, is benefited through these uh, uh, infrastructure uh, development and more importantly, job opportunities have created.
1: Mm -hmm. Well, thank you, Mr. De Silva. Thank you for joining us for this dialogue.
0: Ideas matter. Ideas matter. This is dialogue.
1: With conflicts around the world, such as the ongoing Ukraine crisis and now that between Israel and the Palestine, the topic of global security has never been more relevant in our time. What do these two conflicts tell us about the current state of global security? What international platforms are available to resolve such conflicts? And how could China's global security initiative play a role in promoting peace and stability? To help us answer these questions, I'm glad to have the exclusive interview with David Holland, Executive Director of the Center for Humanitarian Dialogue in Switzerland. Welcome to Dialogue, uh, Mr. Holland. So Let's start with the latest one, probably the conflicts in the Middle East. Uh, so any response from from you and your organization? You know, what's the best way forward right now?
0: Um, I think the um, the Israel-Palestine conflict is is very difficult. And I think um, there are people looking at China um, the United States has been traditionally involved for a, a long time, but as you know, it's it's not seen as uh, as neutral. It's not seen as uh, uh, even-handed. So I think um, China, which has a, a different approach to negotiations, a different approach to dialogue, and and of course China has you know, a long long tradition of non-interference in the internal affairs of states. Um, I think that at this particular moment where uh, the world is so violently polarized and so fragmented that um, yeah, China could play um, a positive, uh, positive role in uh, Israel-Palestine, but also in a, in a number of other contexts.
1: Mm-hmm. Uh, are you seeing that in Holland during this uh, time of uh, fragmentation and division uh, globally probably we need more dialogue, we need more uh, negotiation, need to, to more uh, like face-to-face talks with each other to address the differences or the challenges there.
0: Absolutely. Um, I think that um, the advantage of, of dialogue is that um, at least you don't sleepwalk into conflict. You know, there is a famous metaphor that World War I began uh, because of a sleepwalking, you know, that the great powers weren't listening to each other. And I think uh, actually the fragmentation among great powers, the the lack of dialogue, and also the fragmentation among populations has never been greater. So I think there is a sort of 1914 risk at the moment, a risk that we don't communicate clearly. And it it doesn't necessarily mean about being on friendly terms, uh, back channels that simply allow for a clear statement of where red lines are, you know, the habits of, of good dialogue, negotiation, back channels, uh, these have been eroded
1: over the last decades and we need them now more than ever. Does that kind of, uh, let's say, lack of acquired diplomacy uh, play a role, let's say, um, in the existing conflicts like the Ukraine crisis, like the, you know, Gaza-Israel crisis here?
0: Well, I, I think the, the conflict between uh, uh, Russia and Ukraine, the, the war on Ukraine, if it had taken place during the, the Cold War, um, I think if there had been an, you know, a dispute between the, the great powers about the status of you know, a country near to one or other of them, I think that um, probably there could have been better efforts to try and prevent it, yes. I I think there is a problem at the moment in the diplomatic system, and I think the lack of dialogue is increasing the risk of warfare in a number of contexts.
1: Uh, you know, speak of the Russian-Ukraine crisis, uh, we know that, and you know, uh, let's be frank, you know, the West, the US and Europeans would love to see the rest of the, the world, to join them, uh, to be, to side with them against Russia in this conflict. Uh, but that's not happening. And we do see this uh, global south, including major countries like China, like India, uh, they tend to take a neutral stance on that issue. Is that a surprise for a lot of people, uh, in particular for people from the West?
0: Yeah, I, I think it's it's been a big reminder that the international system is changing very fast, um, and that we're not living in a system of two camps anymore. We're living in a in a very multipolar system, in which um, countries have a whole range of options for pursuing their interests and. I think, with respect to the Ukraine um, crisis, the war in Ukraine, you know a lot of countries have seen it as very far away and you know more of Europe's problems, and they have to look after their own needs. so I think you're absolutely right. A lot of the Western countries have felt it as a big disappointment, but I don't think it's a unique case. I suspect that um, one may see similar on Israel-Palestine and uh, in future conflicts. I think uh, the bipolar world has gone and the multipolar world is here.
1: Mm-hmm. Okay, multipolar world is here. And what does that mean to, you know, uh, to this global security situation? Are we seeing more conflicts or are we seeing more challenges probably to address those challenge uh, these conflicts?
0: We are seeing more conflict. Um, I think, you know, in, uh, we've had the very large war in, in Ukraine, and that's, in fact, the largest interstate uh, war since, since World War II, probably. And we also had a very large war in Ethiopia. You know, actually, um, the estimates vary, but between three and 600,000 people killed, you know, just a colossal conflict. And now, of course, we have Israel-Palestine. Um, where already about 10,000 people, mostly uh, innocent civilians, have been killed, um, and um, there is the possibility that that um, that conflict could escalate dramatically. I think um, if um, things develop in a certain way in in Gaza, it's very possible that um, Hezbollah and therefore uh, Lebanon will be. Uh, drawn in, and, and therefore the risk of a, of a wider conflict is, is greater. And, and while those risks are elevated, uh, the, the dialogue, that is the, the diplomacy and the back channels and the negotiation and the mediation, which could normally mitigate those risks, that, uh, that dialogue is largely absent. So we have growing risks and you know, shrinking capacity to manage those risks
1: to manage those uh, differences. And also, you know, probably another challenge would be this. Uh, uh, you do see increasing number of countries engage their diplomacy um, or relationship with other countries, you know, based on like ideological differences or based on value, uh, you know, values, you know, whether to deal with or not to deal with another country. And, or sometimes people see a particular issue in black and white manner. We know, despite you know, many of the issues are very complicated, including the Ukraine crisis, including this Gaza-Israel uh, crisis here. Uh, so, you think that's also as probably to the problem, to the challenges?
0: I think uh, it's particularly a problem for the West. The the issue of um, a heavily values-driven um, foreign policy and security po- policy. Is pre- particularly predominant in the West. I mean, uh, you are Chinese, so you will tell me. But I I don't see, as I look at Chinese history, uh, a strong motivation to insist that other people should be more like themselves. You know, whereas you know, I think non-interference in the uh, internal affairs of other states comes relatively naturally from a very long Chinese history of dealing with the world, whereas I think the West, for for different historical reasons, partly to do with uh, a tradition of imperialism, partly to do with uh, a tradition of uh, Christian missionaryism, has tended, particularly for the last 200 years, to engage with the world in terms of how can the world be more like us. And, and you know, there have certainly been some positive aspects to that, but there have been many negative aspects to that. And I think that at a time when you know the world is very polarized in its value systems and in many other ways and very fragmented, it's simply not a viable uh, approach because uh, there aren't enough shared values. And, and at least at this point in history, they don't have the capacity to impose that. So I think, for example, China's tradition, which is you know much more inclined to, accept countries' internal systems as they are, is probably the reason, for example, that you saw, you know, Iran and Saudi Arabia looking to China um, as a possible mediator.
1: Mm -hmm. Uh, We do see in recent years, you know, the Chinese side uh, uh, put forward this uh, global security initiative. Uh, global Civilization Initiative, along with this development initiative. Uh, of course, the stress is still about development. Um, but uh, do you see there's increasing, let's say, a rather active uh, tendency, you know, for the from the Chinese side, you know, diplomatically to get involved in or to help resolve those conflicts, either it's about the Ukraine situation or about the current uh, Israel-Gaza uh, situation there?
0: My feeling is, first of all, it's... It, it's very positive that that china has laid out the basic principles for its engagement with the world security issues through its global security initiative the principles are are very positive and i think you know they will be elaborated and the practice of those principles will become clear over the years but i i think it's very 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 good they've done that and i think uh, frankly many countries in the world, they look at China and somehow they see behind those principles also a country that for better and for worse has a very strong tradition of non-interference in internal affairs and um, uh, is a country which is not traditionally sought to project power to the far abroad through military means. So I, I think at a time when the risk of you know, armed conflict is really very high um, I think that um, China will be sought as a partner and I think uh, the principles of the global security initiative um, are a good framework.
1: In your opinion what kind of a role China could play you know uh, looking into the future to help resolve uh, the disputes you know uh, resolve the conflicts in the European uh, continent? Well I,
0: I think I mean I hope that China sees the positive role it played uh, with the, the grain deals between Ukraine and Russia, um, which was well received uh, by, um, by Ukraine and by Russia, but also by so many countries uh, around the world um, which, um, which rely on grain from, from Russia and Ukraine. So I hope that China sees that it is able to um, Uh, to play a a positive role, and from the war itself, and in particular the 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 post-war period, is going to be extremely dangerous because, you know, the underlying factors which uh, drove the conflict are still going to be there. So I think, yeah, I think China has a role to play immediately. You know, the the grain deal has for the moment broken down, Um, and um, uh, China has been promoting uh, stability, and and I think that China could very usefully and productively follow up its positive intervention on uh, the Black Sea.
1: Well, on that note, we conclude today's discussion. Thank you, Mr. Heiland.
0: Thank you, Mr. Xu. a great pleasure.